stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at God's right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, the word of the Lord. Generally speaking, I was a pretty good kid. I mean, I was mostly polite. Got good grades, even though, according to so many of my teachers, I wasn't living up to my potential. But I didn't get into too much trouble. I mean, I'm not saying I was perfect. I still regret not being nicer to my younger brothers and my sister. And I teased them mercilessly, which at some point I think ceases to be good-natured and crosses the line into mistreatment. I wasn't particularly neat around the house or especially fastidious about washing my face and hands. I always seemed to have dirt plastered to some part of me. You know, and looking back on it, I, I should probably grant myself some grace when it comes to the dirt thing. I mean, I was a kid after all. Still, I, as an adult with dogs and my own kids, I now have a certain appreciation for my parents' irritation with cleaning muddy footprints off the carpet. Which appreciation means I also now understand why my parents always seem to be hollering at me to take off my muddy shoes before I came into the house. Mud seemed like a constant in my life as a kid, a faceless character in the early chapters of my, the story of my childhood. We had a, 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 a creek that ran through the end of our backyard. Now, I say creek, which might be a bit of a topographical stretch. There was always at least a little water that trickled through it, but you, you could jump across it most of the time without falling in. Unless we had any amount of rain. And then the thing started to look like a scaled-down version of the Ohio River with a current and floating branches and old soda cans floating past. It wasn't dangerous, really, but it did produce an unsp 
unspeakable amount of mud on the banks. We loved it when the rain fell and the creek swelled. We ran through it, we splashed in it, stomped around in the puddles that it left, and herein lay the problem at the heart of the ongoing quarrel with my parents over mud. One day, we'd had a particularly heavy rain, and of course, we were all out in the backyard slopping around, but unfortunately, the rain had been so heavy that the banks on both sides of the creek were sodden. And with so many neighborhood kids stomping around, the usually grassy banks quickly turned to mud. After a while, it got so bad that one kid got stuck. I don't remember who, but it was like quicksand. I mean, he couldn't pull his feet out of the mud. So a couple of us went to help him out. <laughs> Nothing. We couldn't budge him. I mean, no matter how hard we tried, the only way we could get him out was by having him step out of his shoes. Now, it soon dawned on those of us who'd gone to help him that we were also now stuck. So we all had to step out of our shoes and wade back through the mud in our stock, stocking feet. Now, the whole thing was pretty cool to a 10-year-old in an Indiana Jones braving the wild jungle sort of way. But it didn't take long for reality to sink in. I was going to be in big trouble. Full of mud. Yeah. No shoes. Big trouble. And I was right. My mom was not happy when I came struggling up the back lawn, dragging my now mud-caked tube socks into the garage with no shoes. You can imagine how that conversation went. What have I told you about playing in the mud? Coming in here all dirty. Do you think I spend my days trying to figure out new ways to clean up after you? No. Right? And where are your shoes? And I said, well, they're in the backyard. Well, go get them. And I said, well, see, that's the problem. They're stuck in, you know, the mud. Those were brand new tennis shoes. You wait till your father hears about this. Now, when my dad finally did hear about this, he was even less sympathetic than my mom. What were you doing playing in the mud? We told you about this, stomping around in those muddy shoes, bringing all that mess into the house. Now, look, I'm not sure why I thought that my next response was smart. Not sure why I thought introducing a little levity into the situation would help my cause. But as is my custom, I couldn't help myself. Beaming, I said, well, at least I didn't bring my muddy shoes into the house. <laughs> now, apparently, that was not the witty tension breaker that I'd imagined in my head before I said it. My dad squinted like he was trying to make sure I'd said what he thought he heard me say, but what he was certain I was too dumb to have actually said. Are you back-talking me? No. 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 That's what I thought. If I ever catch you doing something like this again, I'm going to make 
I'm going to make you wish you'd never seen mud. Now, when you're 10 years old, your parents' maniacal fixation on the state of your shoes and their relationship to the cleanliness of the house feels a little bit overwrought, I don't mind telling you. I mean, it's just a little dirt, right? I mean, why get so bent out of shape? And personally, I thought my dad was being a just a bit over the top with the threats and all that. Now, combine that with my congenitally smart mouth, and it's not a big mystery why I stepped off the next verbal cliff without so much as a thought. Under my breath, I mumbled, if you can. Let's just say that things did not go well for me after that. As, as Ron White once said, I had the right to remain silent. I just didn't have the ability. <laughs> Did you ever do that? Let your mouth take over when just no. keeping quiet might be the smart choice? No. I mean, some people have a tough time with that. <laughs> Boy, howdy. I've made a career out of not being able to keep my mouth shut. See, that's the sort of vibe we get in our passage from Acts today. Backtalk, or as my mom used to call it, sassing. In Jerusalem, the high priest had already rounded up the apostles and threw them in the huskow. Luke tells us the reason was that the high priest was jealous. Now, that feels a little petty to me. I mean, it's, it's kind of middle schoolish, isn't it? But apparently, that's the level of maturity that we're dealing with. Their preaching about Jesus made the local big shots nervous. But the apostles didn't stay locked up for long because an angel came and sprang them. So if you had divine jailbreak on your post-Easter bingo cards, you get to take home the new toaster and the fondue pot. Now, you'd think that having gotten thrown in jail for talking too much and having to be broken out by God would have chastened the apostles a little bit. You know, maybe dampen their enthusiasm for shooting their mouths off in public. You might think that, but you'd be wrong. Because the first thing the apostles did, according to Luke, after walking out of Shawshank Penitentiary, was to go back down to the middle of town and start preaching again. So the high priest had the apostles hauled back in for further questioning. A, how did y'all make that fancy escape? And B, didn't we tell you about keeping your mouth shut? No. Pretty sure we made it abundantly clear that y'all aren't supposed to be out there stirring up trouble by preaching about this Jesus character. Now, you remember what happened to him after he couldn't keep quiet? <laughs> yeah. Just remember, we're pals with those people, the Romans and the government, and we can turn you over to them for the same kind of treatment if you don't mind your P's and Q's. Because here's the thing. You're blaming us for the death of this guy, Jesus, and much as we can't understand why, enough people like this guy that you blaming us for his death is causing some heartburn. So just be quiet if you don't want to end up like him. See, but Peter, mud all over his shoes. I mean, he can't do the smart thing in this case and just keep quiet. 
No, he has to keep talking. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, he said, whom you had killed, BT dubs, by having him hanged on a tree. God exalted him at God's right hand as leader and savior that he might, have, uh, might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, while Peter's answer might sound like a rehashed version of the stuff that had landed the apostles in jail in the first place, Luke adds a little something new. And this new thing, mumbled under his breath after being told to quit backtalking, was perfectly placed to make the authorities' heads explode. Two words, that's all it took, just two words. Two tiny words to whip the religious and political bigwigs into a frenzy. Those words are translated leader and savior in the New Revised Standard Version in your pew Bibles. Archegon and soter in Greek. What they mean, however, is something like prince or founder and deliverer or healer. Now, why is that such a big deal, you wonder? Because the Roman Empire only recognized one prince and healer. And Caesar already had dibs on those titles. Anyone who feared, Rome feared might be even thinking about claiming those titles got sent before the firing squad. Now, here Peter and the apostles are invoking those titles for a political criminal executed by the state. They were furious. I got a letter this week attempting to convince me that my education and experience have been wasted on me. Clearly, this person suggested, I have no idea who Jesus was. But it was the closing line that got to me. It's not the first time I've heard this. In fact, I've been told something like this for years now by people who are pretty sure that they read the Bible more faithfully than some wacko liberal. The writer closed with this, and anyway, Jesus was never political. Now, of course, such a charge generally means, look, I've read the Bible, and I don't see any mention of Republicans and Democrats in there, no reference to polling data, no voter suppression, there are no vetoes, no campaigning, so when you say Jesus was political, you're obviously reading something into the Bible that isn't there. But as Warren Carter reminds us, in the first century Roman world, no one pretended religion and politics were separate. <laughs> Rome claimed its empire was ordained by the gods. Those whom we think of as religious leaders in Jerusalem, such as the chief priests and the scribes, were actually the political leaders of Judea and they were allies of Rome. Those who say Jesus wasn't political have to answer the question, okay, then why was he crucified? See, because Rome administered crucifixion for two crimes. One, slave rebellions, and two, political insurrection. Jesus roamed all over Palestine calling out political and economic abuses of the ruling classes. 
those who stole land and life from the peasants. Jesus challenged a system in which only the top three to five percent of the population owned the majority of the wealth, and everyone else was left to fend for themselves or die on the streets. Now, if Jesus were just an ancient Near Eastern Mr. Rogers, why did the Romans kill him? I mean, if all he was doing was roaming the countryside, healing people and preaching about saving souls and getting platinum club pre-boarding on the express train to heaven, he would have been one of Rome's favorite people. See, because the Pax Romana meant that the Romans loved anybody who could help them keep the peasants pacified. And if that was all Jesus was doing, he'd never have gotten sideways with them. But you see, Jesus wasn't pacifying the peasants with his preaching. He was whipping them up. That's why they tried to crown him king when he entered Jerusalem to waving palm branches and cries of Hosanna. <coughs> In the 2018 Florida gubernatorial election, there was a famous debate between Andrew Gillum and current governor Ron DeSantis and regardless of your, your, your political leanings, it, it is instructive. The subject came up about DeSantis' decision to speak at uh, a conference, uh, or conferences, hosted by David Horowitz, who was an anti-Muslim conservative political activist. And Andrew Gillum said, my grandmother used to say a hit dog will holler and it hollered all throughout this room. After DeSantis loudly rejected any common cause with Horowitz. And then Gillum said, first of all, he's got neo-Nazis helping him out in the state, referring to the white supremacist group that was running uh, racist robocalls against Gillum in the state. And, and to be fair, uh, Ron DeSantis's campaign disavowed uh, any connection with the calls. But then, but then Andrew Gillum uh, delivered the brutal line that stuck with me. He said, now I'm not calling Mr. DeSantis a racist. I'm simply saying that the racists believe he's a racist. Now, look, whether or not Jesus was a political radical in the way that we think of political radicals, it's irrelevant. No. The Romans believed that he was a political revolutionary. And that's why they killed him like one. That's a danger of not keeping your mouth shut about Jesus. I mean, you start talking about protecting the poor and the powerless, people get twitchy. You start saying that the system's rigged against black and brown people against immigrants and the disabled, against women and LGBTQ people, and pretty soon you'll find yourself sideways with the folks who have everything to gain by keeping things just the way they are right now. Now, whether you think of yourself as political or not, you start talking about the people and issues that Jesus cared about, things can get ugly quick. If you don't believe me, ask Jesus. Let's be honest, sometimes keeping quiet is the wise thing to do. <coughs> but
But if what's at stake are the lives and livelihoods of the people that Jesus loved, well, then keeping my mouth shut doesn't make me wise. It makes me unfaithful. And that's the kind of mud that just doesn't wash off. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.